Um, thank you ever so much, Helen, for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here today. And I, have, I don't know about you guys, but I've had a fantastic day already. And I just want to sit and talk to all of these people who've made contributions, <coughs> this, both this morning and this afternoon. I found it absolutely fascinating. And um, what I hope to do um, now is to perhaps tell you a little bit about some work that we've been doing, um, which hopefully fits with some of these um, these thoughts and these these ideas we've been having so far today. But um, also to allow some time for questions because I think uh, we really do have um, an important amount of things to think about today. So essentially what I'll talk to you about for maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, I hope to get through it in that time, um, is to explain to you what Future Track Study is um, and also then how we carried out a little bit of additional work using the Future Track findings. And then um, hopefully we'll have, I'd say, some opportunity for discussion. Um, I know that there are at least two people in the room um, who know a lot about this, but probably most of you don't know what Future Track is. Um, would I be right to assume that? Yes, most of you don't. Yes. Um, Future Track was a longitudinal tracking study uh, funded by HEXU, hence the involvement of my organisation. Um, but actually carried out by the University of Warwick Institute for Employment Research. And we have one colleague, Heike, who's um, here from Warwick today. And uh, it was led by uh, Professor Kate Purcell, who probably many of you, anybody who's worked in graduate labour market will have heard of Kate. Um, and it was a, a splendid study. It actually generated massive amounts of information. And it, it took place over a five or six year period, and students um, were surveyed at four separate points. Uh, once initially as they began uh, their university careers or, or rather was they were applying and, and thinking about beginning their university careers. Um, once about 18 months later um, in their final year for those on three-year programs and then approximately two years later. It, so most of them by that stage had completed their degrees and were out in the labour market or postgraduate study. And there's a little bit more to it than that, but that's basically the sort of broad outline structure of the programme. And um, we have had um, lots of reports about the study, um, which you can find either on the IER website, the, Employment for, uh, the Institute for Employment Research website at Warwick, or alternatively as well, they're also posted on the HEXU website. Uh, and I would, you know, seriously, if, you, if, if, if this interests you, go have a look at the long reports because, you know, there are some, there's some really interesting material on there. Um, as I mentioned, it, it's generated a very large data set and this is probably not possible to see very clearly from even on the front row. Um, but we, we understand that these slides are going to be made available to you, so <coughs> perhaps this on your own computer screen will make sense. But this is simply a map of the data source. Um, one of the things that happens with longitudinal studies, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you, is that it, you get less people um, willing to complete them. And um, our study started off with, in the order of um, 120,000 uh, um, people who responded. So it was really, really big at stage one, but had fallen quite dramatically. Um, it, it fell by about a half, roughly, at each stage. and. Um, this does cause certain numbers of sort of um, logistical problems and particularly it, it causes one or two um, problems into how far you can actually um, cut and dice the data in terms of particular issues. So for example, there's a lot in the stage one reporting about minority ethnic students where there isn't at stage four because 
it's just not possible always to um, to actually distinguish at that basis, but that level of um, detail. But we know it's a fantastic data set, and, and we're really very delighted to be able to have access to it. What uh, we at Hexa were asked to do, um, Biz very kindly um, agreed to fund a little bit more additional research, and um, we actually did four kind of mini studies, one of which is published, and it's that one that I'm going to talk to you about today. And um, I've got a copy of it here, it's quite a long document, um, but unfortunately I've managed to bring you the one without the Biz reference number on, so I'll send that out to you later on. But anyway, here it is if anyone wants to have a look at the end. But these were the research questions that we were posed, um, and some of, the, um, some of the reporting of some of uh, the findings actually do um, are foreshadowed in the, the Future Track reports. Um, so we were particularly interested in the, the impact of work experience on student outcomes, essentially. And I think one of the things that sort of emerges very strongly from policy debates at the moment is that this kind of generalised thinking around placements have got to be a good thing. I was very interested in, in, in Jim's comments about, well, are they really for everybody almost? You know, there's a sort of, not necessarily a good thing for everybody, but how, how are they, you know, they are being sort of presented as a, as a universal good in a sense. And we were wanting to actually try to tease out whether they were good for everybody or for particular combinations of people or perhaps whether there were any other relationships that were to do with your socioeconomic status as well as... As, as the institution you attended. And biz were also, at the time, particularly interested in sandwich placements. I think this is partly because, um, um, I, I suppose I can mention um, ministers of state, you know, at that time, you know, particularly I think Mr Willits was very interested to know whether or not encouraging people to take a year out was actually going to be a good thing <coughs> for them. Is it going to help? Is it then on their journey, whatever their journey might be. And so I think there was a quite a lot of interest, particularly in sandwich placements. And we did quite a bit of work trying to distinguish between sandwich placements and other placements. And there was a kind of underlying sense that maybe sandwiches were some kind of gold standard. And certainly years out that people um, have talked about in another piece of research, which I'll hopefully if you have time to get to, uh, to explain to you as well, um, the years out tend to be more structured, but I'll leave that one hanging because you might want to come back and say, no, that's not the case. Um, so anyway, so what did we do? Very quickly. Um, as a starting point, obviously, we reviewed what we had previously published, in a sense. When I say we, it's the collective we. It was actually the University of Warwick. And what <coughs> had been published previously. And then we went on to do some um, further analyses and, and create yet more descriptors <coughs> in the whole area of work placements. And, and, of course, had lots of discussions with Biz that led to our particular approach in terms of modelling and, and regression analysis. And I've put at the bottom there implications for, for practice. Probably, um, of all the things that we did, I, my personal feeling is that probably is the thing we should really have spent most time on, but actually it often isn't the case, is it, when you're, you're doing commissioning pieces of research for others, that you stop and spend time thinking about what the implications for practice are and in a sense it's an audience like this really that teases through those kinds of issues isn't it and, and whether or not actually the, the universal placement idea is really a goer or not but anyway 
Um, I'll, I'll tell you now what we found very quickly, so that if you want to have a little doze, then you can do. Um, alternatively, you know, if you want to burrow into the detail, you know, um, what we can do is to look at some of the detail after the, the sort of the outcomes have been explained to you. Um, but we were particularly looking at the impact of paid work, unpaid work, and structured work experiences um, on on that had taken place during the period of higher education on outcomes at the end. So in other words, um, whether people got a graduate job, whether people um, got a good class of degree and so on. And we found very crudely, um, and again this is echoed very much in some of the earlier writing on this, that those who had undertaken both paid work and a structured work experience, both things, um, had the most positive outcomes for students and graduates. And conversely, those who had undertaken no work had had the least positive outcomes. And you're probably thinking now, well, yes, you'd probably expect that. That seems to be kind of reasonable, doesn't it? Um, probably. Um, but perhaps if I go into a little bit more detail about how we did it and how we got to that point, it might be, um, might be more helpful. And also, um, then if we run out of time, and I don't get to the very end of every single graph, you can have a look at it on, on your own online. Um, we started the thinking really by um, our, our thinking about our predominant interest was to see whether or not socioeconomic characteristics actually um, were in any way um, mediated by the whole experience of work, different kinds of work. And um, my colleague who um, worked on this project with us um, and actually did most of the writing um, was relatively new to this area and constructed this little model in his, in his head, which finally actually got into the report, which is, it, is, is really that we know that there are relationships, don't we, between family background and school attainment. I mean, there's shed loads of information about that. I'm sure you, you're far more familiar with it than I. Um, and there's also um, a very strong relationship between uh, attainment and what kind of institution you, higher education institution you, you attend. And we, we've also got quite a lot, a, a strange, a lot of information about ins the, the, the impact of institution on um, ultimate employment outcomes. Um, and so we're really going, looking at that process of, of sort of moving through and, and trying to see, well, does work experience or any kind of participation in work make any difference here? Um, the particular subjects that we looked at um, as part of the research were grouped into three separate groups. We looked at um, what we call specialist vocational subjects, and again this is something that I think um, was originally coined by Kate and her team. Um, specialist vocational subjects included medicine, engineering, law, education. Um, occupationally orientated subjects which might include biology, maths, business, creative arts, uh, social studies and so on. Uh, and then a third category of discipline-based subjects, which um, some might argue pure disciplines were physical sciences, linguistics, history and philosophy and, and, and subjects of that order. And we also used as a way of classifying the institutions um, not the breakdown of uh, Russell <coughs> Group and pre and post-92 and by the way, what has happened to they they themselves today. today. Right. I didn't know that. I was quite shocked when I heard that. Right. Anyway, we didn't use them anyway, so I'm really glad about that. Now. Um, 
that's, that's a good one for <laughs> right. Sorry, small distraction there. Um, yeah, what we did, what we did instead, or what Kate's team did instead, was rather than use those those terms, which it was wise given not only today's initiative but also the changes that there have been in Russell Group too. Um, but they they developed a categorisation of institutions which was um, highest, high, medium, and low in terms of UCAS entry points required. Um, for a place. Um, so it, instead of having Russell Group pre and post 92s and etc., we, we replaced that with high, highest, high, medium, and low, and another category of specialist, um, of specialist institutions. And th this is quite significant, really, as, as we'll explain as we go. Um, so what we did was that we actually looked at um, the individual characteristics of students and the HE context in which they were operating. So individual characteristics, we, um, we looked at things like age and gender and subjects and all those kinds of things you'd expect to find, but also um, parental experience of higher education and also parental, socio or parental um, occupational grouping. Um, so those were the kinds of things that we were looking at in terms of individuals. But in terms of the type of higher education establishment people were <coughs> entered, had entered and were moving through, um, then we used this classification of high, highest, highest, medium, and low and, um, entry points uh, there, which we're really, I suppose, using as a proxy for students' level of attainment as well. And we examine the relationship between all of those factors and the different sorts of structured work experience. Okay. But I mentioned to you at the beginning, first of all, we, we began with um, what had been uncovered first of all, and it, it had been discovered that participation in paid work was associated with um, socioeconomic advantage and disadvantage and with different tariffs um, different kinds of institutional experiences um, and they not only varied within different um, institutional experiences but but also with different sorts of subjects um, and that that there is already some of that in the earlier reporting on on um, future track which you can find online and in particular um, it was the case that at stage four, in other words, this is a stage where people had actually moved out into the labour market, that um, those people who had um, undertaken any kind of um, work placement, which was integral to their um, their courses, and um, and so on, as you can see here, um, felt that not only um, was their their job um, more appropriate to them, but also um, they felt more strongly about that than people who simply uh, worked for money. And as you know, students involve themselves in all sorts of different kinds of work, don't they? It's not just a question of um, doing a placement that structures part of your course. I mean, lots of students are doing part-time jobs anyway. And so we were looking at work in its broadest sense. I mean, there was paid work, there was um, work placements, um, uh, there was uh, work placements that are part of your course, work placements that you engineered for yourself because they were vacation opportunities and so on. But generally the, there was a strong thread coming through from the previous findings that indicated that um, it was having a very positive impact. 
And again, conversely, those who um, who had done none of that at all, I mean, it was quite a small number actually, were the highest, the highest proportion, amongst the, those were the highest proportion who felt that their job was inappropriate by the time they got to stage four, inappropriate for their level of skills. As I say, there's quite a lot of information here that I'm going to sort of go through quite quickly. Um, the, the distribution of paid work, as you can see here, is, is not, um, not completely even. It does vary by um, gender, as, as was reported earlier. Um, women did more paid work in the vacation and term times at stage two which was, if you recall, about 18 months through their courses. Men tended to, do, to be doing more vacation-only work by stage three, um, and so on. You know, we found all sorts of different kinds of variables, and there's a tremendous amount in the report which is descriptive in terms of the kinds of findings that there are. Jane, okay. it might be worth just saying it's only full-time. Sorry? It's only full-time students. Yes. Yes, it's probably, yes, thank you for that, yes. It's worth noting that Future Track was only, this particular version of Future Track was only concerned with full-time students. Yes, should have mentioned that, thanks. Okay. Um, those whose parents uh, with experience of HE were less likely to work both in vacations and in term times, um, but more likely to work <coughs> vacations only. And, and I think we know anecdotally that some institutions as well actually discourage people from working during term times, whether it's on a placement or whether it's paid work. You know, so that you know, there's a tremendous amount of variability here, and a lot of the time we look, don't we, at averages. You know, so at the average amount of working at at stages um, one and at stages two and three were around thirteen. Um, 0.8% at stage two and 12.1% at stage three. But the distribution even then was very uneven and very extreme. So we had 50% um, of people who were doing any kind of paid work uh, were actually doing less than 10 hours. And 8% were doing more than 20 hours. So it was very variable. Shall I carry on? Okay, right. <laughs> Brighten the um, alarm to go again. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the mic, is it? I <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the whole business of engagement in work is not just—it's not just one thing. It's not just one thing in, in any particular kind of institution. It's very, very much more complex. Um, again, I hope that this might be more visible on your on your home computer. But what this, um, <coughs> this is the um, breakdown of hours by institutional type, and that the, the far, um, your, your left, my right, <laughs> uh, the far end, we have the highest um, entry tariff point universities, which incidentally doesn't uh, totally coincide with Russell Group institutions, although most of it does. Um, you find that there, um, the, the amount of work that they're doing is probably less um, overall, certainly, but certainly less in terms of um, a lot of hours per week than the lowest institutions. If you, I must move this. I feel like some sort of a patient in a hospital, really. 
with my drugs in my little bag. Um, basically, you see here that there's a much greater number of people from um, the lower entry tariff institutions uh, who are doing um, this along the bottom is the grade, of, uh, the grade of the number of hours. So, for example, up to my, where my finger is, is 20 to 25 hours. So a lot of students in the lower, lowest tariff institutions are doing a lot of hours of study. And compare that with the highest tariff institutions, where the majority are actually in the second column, which is 5 to 10 hours a week. And so, you know, there are, there's huge differential. And there's, for those of you who like statistics, you'll enjoy this, because there's lots of this sort of thing in here, which is, um, and Biz were wanting this kind of evidence you know, broken down into even more detail. Um, but we were particularly interested in having a look at structured work placements and work experience and, and therefore what kind of impact they had. Um, and these were, um, we, we did find that these things also varied tremendously. Um, again, from the earlier reporting, we know that placements are more likely to be in subjects like, like <coughs> education and um, sandwich placements more likely to be in subjects like engineering and business um, and you, you're actually far less likely to do um, a sandwich placement if you're in a higher tariff institution. Most of the sandwich placement activities was in the medium and high rather than the highest entry tariff institutions and so on um, but more likely, much more likely to do a summer internship a vacation internship in the highest tariff institutions. So again, you know, the, the availability of, of particular kinds of activity is very stratified, very, um, very based on institution. And again, here is something which actually breaks down the participation in those different kinds of activity by subject discipline. Is this at all visible from the back? Oh, no, no. Gosh, I was hoping the screen might be larger. Um, the, 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 the subjects are listed on, on the side there, uh, the, the nearest Helen. The, column, the first column is sandwich year, the second column is structured work placements, the third column is assessed project work, and the, the fourth column here is vacation internship. And we see that the structured work placements are predominantly amongst subjects allied to medicine. Um, that's the really the strong one, and <coughs> at the top, education. So, uh, you know, again, representing a very sort of typical pattern of um, what kinds of things have been happening for many years, in a sense. <coughs> but interestingly, quite a lot of um, internships here in um, law and business, and um, also in engineering, and and so on, and relatively few sandwich placements in anything other than a small number of subjects. Um, uh, and notably, uh, subjects again where you might expect them to be. I suspect though if we did this research again we might find some of this has changed a bit because this, the, the particular cohort that comprises Future Track were the ones who began their higher education in 2006. So we, we might find it changing by now. Similarly, if we look at participation in work experiences by age, then we, we see again some really quite dramatic differences here. Um, the young ones, the under 18s, predominantly engaging in paid work. In fact, the paid work, which is the first column, is quite significant in, a, in every age group. 
But what, again, is particularly interesting there, I think, is the, the number of people who are actually um, carrying out structured work placements is highest amongst the over-26 group, the age group. That, I think, is quite an interesting, an interesting feature. And one wonders whether or not that relationship with age has something to do with their prior experience, perhaps, their prior work experience, or they're maybe more ready or more able to take up such offers, and so on. Interestingly, um, and again, when you have a chance to have a look at this in a bit more detail, um, we've, what, we tended to, what we did initially with the research was to try to tease out whether or not different sorts of um, work experience were more impactful than others. Um, and in fact, um, we, we did find initially that sandwich placements and um, vacation internships appeared to have a much more powerful effect than work placements. Um, but I think we decided against ultimately reporting it in, in that way, partly because um, by the time we got to stage four, the numbers were relatively small and there was some slight caution really about, about trying to differentiate in those ways. But there are significant differences in, in participation in different sorts of work experience. And so what we did in the end actually was to put them all together and, and anything that was um, a work placement that was any way planned, so whether it was part of your course as a placement or it was something that had actually been a project on your course or it was a sandwich year, in the end we put all of those kinds of experiences together and compared them with not working or with simply doing paid work. Again, a bit more information <coughs> about um, participation in work experiences by institution. And here again, um, it, it sort of demonstrates to us that it's by no means a level playing field, all this, um, this about whether or not work placements are a good thing. Um, here we see again that um, the numbers of people who are participating in structured work placement uh, again, this is this is point E here on this one. This is structured work placement lower there than, for example, here. And it's starting to climb a bit more, medium um, E, getting a bit bigger, and so on in the lowest. So, uh, again, you know, structured work placements far more often undertaken by people who are in the lower entry tariff um, institutions than the higher ones. The specialist institutions are a bit of an exception, though, because I think um, the, the specialist institutions would include the, um, the art and drama, the creative um, institutions and so on. And I think perhaps their, their patterning is different, and one wonders whether or not there might be a separate study to be done there in terms of the creative industries, and particularly those kinds of institutions. And I think what this also... Um, masks in a sense is that there are different subject trajectories for different kinds of um, experiences you know that, that there and, and some institutions have different combinations of subjects this is all sounding you know probably very familiar stuff to you but um, we, we have a very very diverse HE sector and I suppose what's always worrying me when I hear about um, work placements is a good thing is that we have such a diverse um, patterning and, and institutions just are not the same and the, the, their intakes of students are not the same. But anyway, Many of our student <coughs> respondents told us that they did more than one thing. Um, 
as you might expect, most people, and we've seen on the earlier slides, most people um, were, were doing paid work for money at some stage or other. Um, others were telling us that they were also doing um, paid work for career-related reasons. Some were doing unpaid work for career-related reasons. Um, small numbers of people were doing sandwiches and so on. And many people had two activities, and some people even had three activities. And here we see um, a, a slide that actually shows how people were combining um, their activities. And the, the big column, uh, again on the, the far side, shows that most people, uh, if they were having two activities, those two activities were paid work for money plus un unpaid um, work-related experience, which was, um, was a very strong sort of combination. And those who had three activities were doing that um, plus also paid work that was career related. So again, there's this very strong thread running through that people are doing these things in order to develop their careers, in order to develop experience and skills and so on. And the whole employability agenda is, um, is, uh, seems to be manifest in, in, in this, kind of, this kind of data, really. So the results, what did we actually find? Well, um, having done... This is brilliant. Isn't it? Um, having done lots and lots, and, and in the report, there's lots and lots of these descriptive tables and lots and lots of data, and I'm sure you'll find lots of interesting things to read in there. But the results were, um, as the result of further analysis, so having done the, 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 the want of a better expression, the bivariate stuff, then we, we did some modelling. And this was based on looking at, doing a two-stage model where we actually took out the, the explanatory variables with the socioeconomic ones that I've mentioned before, age, gender, ethnicity, family background, and so on. And then the second stage was to add in um, the impact of work experiences. And here um, we can see the, the outcome in a sense that um, the the outcome we were looking for was whether or not um, these things actually had any impact on whether or not you got a good degree. <coughs> Would the people at the back like to come a bit further forward? <laughs> you might see it a bit. You might, are you peering at it there, Brenda? Is there? Um, and, and clearly, if you had any sort of engagement with work or work experience, um, it did appear very strongly to us to um, result in a a likelihood that you would get a good degree and by good degree we were, we were meaning a first or a two one but if you had um, work-based learning which would as I say comprise um, structured work placements sandwiches internships or any kind of activity that was expressly concerned with your career development then the um, you also had a, a likelihood that work experience impacted positively on that but when you combine both together that was really the strongest association. So there you see the 81.9% in the middle where you know, the modelling demonstrated to us that actually um, there is a very, very strong association between those things. And similarly, there is a strong association <coughs> with self-confidence. That it, We feel that it's independent of the, the family background variables. So it's not just a question of saying because you probably started off being confident you came from the sort of family where perhaps you would be likely to have advantages and, and so on, but actually um, experiencing these um, work-based learning or 
both paid work and work-based learning, again, conferred some very, very positive um, gains for you. And similarly, you are much less likely to find yourself unemployed. As you can see here, um, you're about half as likely to be, to be unemployed if you've had a work placement or work-based learning or, or a paid job. And I think these are quite powerful findings in a sense, aren't they? And I know that there are some caveats, and those of you who will have, a, have questions for me about the methodology in more detail and the numbers and so on, um, there are caveats, but I don't think we've got much data that demonstrates quite this relationship, um, and, and therefore I think it's, you know, it is quite significant really what, um, what we seem to be saying here is that there do seem to be very positive impacts um, on student outcomes and so on, and, and the really big one at the bottom, again apologies for those of you who can't see this at the back, but again both paid work um, and also um, work-based learning has quite a powerful uplift on your salary um, and um, you know, quite a dramatic one. But, and there is always a but, isn't there? What we're not sure about is whether or not um, these kinds of data are actually masking other things. Um, so for example, although our modelling um, is, is, we hope, rigorous and, and reliable and so on, um, what you can't be entirely sure about is that if, if somebody has actually um, basically done, done those two things and one of the things they did was an internship, what we don't know, because we don't ask the students these kinds of questions, is how they got their internship and therefore we're assuming that the impact is because of the internship rather than the socio-economic characteristics. But what we don't always know is who got that internship for you anyway? I mean, was it your dad who knows somebody in the company? And, you know, was it, a, a, you know, do we mask all these kinds of social networking um, outcomes and so on? Uh, and so, you know, there are things that we can, we can actually challenge in terms of, of how the data is constructed and maybe that's something for discussion. Um, oops, where's it gone? If you didn't see the others, I do apologise, this isn't going to be visible either, but at the same time as doing this work, we were also doing some work for the <coughs> National Centre for Universities and Business on quality placements, and um, my colleague Olivia Jones from the NCUB has now left. She's heard some of this before, and I don't blame her. But basically, she has now left. But she did want me to tell you a little bit about that project because it does, you know, bear quite significantly on this. Um, what they were asking us to do in that research project was to look at two things, really: to look at the numbers of work placements that are available to students at the moment, and also to try to define what was meant by quality. And one of the things that we did as part of that project was to try to kind of map it all. And, and this was an attempt, really, um, to try to actually look at work, the, 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 the provision of work placements. Um, the lower part of the circle is actually work placements that are not credit-bearing. And the upper part of the circle is placements that are credit-bearing. So if you look at it sort of north to south, that's what it's telling you. But if you look at it east to west, um, the, the blue side is, is businesses and the orange side is institutions. Again, because partly because the, the National Centre sees its role as kind of bringing these two sides more closely together. And um, some of our thinking began to lead us in the direction of 
if we're thinking about placements, um, if, if I take this quarter here, that one there, um, that quarter is actually looking at placements where you, you read this diagram from the centre outwards and it talks about having a curriculum focus at, at the centre. And this tends to lead to placements that might be termed practicum, which would be the education and the nursing, I, I think, and work-based learning and summer placements. And this tends to be regulated through um, asset codes and the QAA quality codes and all that sort of thing because it, it's having a, a, an impact. It's something that's um, part of the course. And certainly my feeling this morning was that a lot of what David was talking about was in fact in that quarter. But we've found evidence both in Future Track but also in this other study that there's a lot of activity going on which is not um, curriculum focused. But of course as institutions all we can be concerned about is the curriculum focused one because we don't have any authority anywhere else, actually, do we? Um, and so, but, but students don't. Um, students participate in other things. So for example, um, on the other side, on the blue side, which is the, the business side, um, this one is, is looking at specific work placements and, and this is where we would find um, the, the, the emphasis on project work and activities that go on in sandwich placements and those sorts of things. And um, at the bottom we have things which are non-credit bearing, so um, activities that are generic work-related focus and so on. And um, we would find here we have you know, things like business awareness sessions that maybe take place in institutions, often employability awards, um, which aren't concerned with the award of the degree, but perhaps internal um, support systems that institutions provide. And similar, um, you know, there's another little quarter there about work-related experiences that are done because of voluntary work or, or things outside the curriculum that actually have nothing at all to do with HE but nonetheless, as far as the student is concerned, might provide useful vehicles for learning. Um, we were, we're trying to, in some way, kind of map the different kinds of places that one could acquire any kind of um, work placement. And although that second project is now finished, um, I know that the NCB are, are looking for additional institutions to help them with this research. And um, if you are able to give them anything that's quantitative about how many students you have on particular kinds of work placement or particular kinds of work-based learning, they would very much like to hear from you. So, but just to conclude, um, before there's another clap of thunder, um, we have, I hope, made the case for saying that we have got some evidence now that demonstrates that work-based learning does have a positive impact on, on outcomes. And as I say, um, apologies for not being able to see all the slides closely, but you will be able to see them when you, when you see the report and, and get the slides separately. Um, but overall, um, we find that about 25% of people had undertaken paid work for the entire period of HE, um, and only 15% had undertaken none at all. Uh, and yet, you know, the, the actual participation um, the numbers of people involved varies hugely, as I think we saw before. Our analyses suggest that work experience does have an impact on labour market outcomes, and um, our feeling is that the, the this provides us with a very, very strong <coughs> baseline for doing much more research in this area. I think it's identified, it's confirmed a lot of issues for us, but it's also raised a lot of questions which... Uh, 
perhaps you might have now. I might have some more of those now. So thank you very much for listening. And-